0: All right. Well, it's good to be back. I mean, I've been here, but I've been preaching. Um, You know, a few years ago, um, it was actually in my kind of other hat as a therapist that I learned how many women um, miss, intentionally skip church on Mother's Day, and that was really where that prayer came from Um, a few years ago was the realization that, um, and even listening to a pastor preach on the way here this morning as he's talking and just realizing just how completely unaware he is of the amount of pain Um, that he that has experienced at at just about any of our holidays um, that we have and we have at church and so just just know you're not if that's you you're not alone in that and uh, and um, God is very aware and is very engaged and and knows what we experience and the hardships in that and so we can with one another as well Um, and last week I hope you were here last week and heard John Redfern senior preaching Um, I, I really look forward to the day when uh, when i I keep getting tripped up by scripture, can you imagine what that must be like to just you 're talking about something and you 're sharing a thought and you you share the thought and then you say because well obviously that 's something that 's important in psalm and then you you quote a psalm off the top of your head that directly applies to what you 're talking about and and then you say um, and you say, so my next they 'm like, oh wait actually, you know Isaiah, Isaiah says this too and you and then before you can move on the next verse you got another verse coming out of i mean that's uh, we 've seen that with some of the the um, people who have come and share and speak. And so, John, thank you very much um, for sharing last week. And it's just a blessing. And the feedback um, has just been people going, man, I, I, I am challenged to know Scripture. Um, and I am too, even better. So, Lord, uh, what a great thing. I just, a, I just ask that prayer on all of us that we would know what Scripture is and what it says. And it would just be right there in our mouths and apply to our lives. And so um, if you did not get a chance to hear that, go to the website and check that out. And uh, and, and I really would encourage you. I think you'd be very blessed by that. Um, so also, so as we're looking at, um, as we're looking today, starting in John 3, about verse 17, we will reference <clears throat> 16. Um, the word there that is going to, we're going to have a connection point that I want to make sure we we connect to is that word believe in particular, and uh, again, you, you can go back and really engage with 3.16. Um, and it will come back up as it connects with other passages as well. But, but sometimes I think it can be confusing for us, this idea of belief. Um, and again, we're going to hit it again here in just a minute. But this idea of belief, I think sometimes because we're a Western society and, uh, and because we're so education-based and we're so intellectually based and we're so rationally based, all of which is appropriate, by the way, there's nothing wrong with any of that, but sometimes we leave out an important understanding. The belief that's being talked about here that, um, that, that for God so loved the world he gave his only son that, that anyone, or in the old version, whosoever, you, you may love that as I do, um, believes in him would not perish. But that word belief, what do we do with that in particular? What's the, what's the intellectual exercise here? We baptized somebody this morning. Is that is that belief? And, and we always clarify that being dunked in water will not save you. Um, there's a belief thing that has to happen. And what is this belief? So the idea here is it's beyond just intellectual assent or even just intellectual agreement. Understand that, that you can agree that Jesus came and even agree that he was a son of God. And, but, but you have to, at some level, believe in him. You have to put your faith there. And so to put faith in something is to make it is to, is to become reliant upon that in some way, to become dependent of, on that in some way. Simple answer like sitting in a chair. You're placing your faith in the chair. I can say, I agree that chair can support me. I, I, I believe that chair can support me, but I have not placed faith in that chair until I have put my rump in it. That's when I have said, this is the deal. I can say, hey, this ginger Hansard character, she seems very faithful. Um, she seems like a really good person. She seems like somebody who would, who would be dependable. But until I marry her, I have not put that kind of faith in her. And that's, what we're, that's what's being talked about here. It's, it's a covenant relationship. It's a dependence. I place my faith in you no longer on me and not on other gods and not on other systems and not on other whatever, but ultimately, finally, dependently on You on this person, Jesus Christ. I'm counting on it. I have put all my eggs in that basket. I have bet the farm on Jesus Christ. If Jesus is wrong, then right. if, if Jesus Christ is not the Son of God and he did not die for our sins, then whoever God is, because I'm convinced it's irrational to not believe in God, that if, if he isn't the God, the Yahweh of Scripture, who, has a, who is, is, is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, rightfully so, he's going to be offended at what I have placed my faith in and I assume send me to hell. But I am convinced that Jesus Christ is the answer, is the place where we put our faith for, in order to be saved forever, and that's the God loved the world enough to send him. Um, I do want to comment on, before we look, we're about to look at John three seventeen. I do want to comment, I had somebody ask me um, the question, this, is, this, this made me um, chuckle, ask me if we're an ESV only church. Um, so I did want to make a comment, Um, no. Uh, English standard version happens to be the one I like to study from and teach from, but no, that we, I mean, with a few exceptions, pick the Bible that you will read. That's, that's the, that's, I think the favorite, my favorite version is the one you will read. Um, there's a few exceptions to that. Like there's a couple that probably need to leave behind, but the, um, but for the most part mainstream, uh, if, you, if there's a version of the Bible you'll read, that's the version that we're, we're big fans of, uh. Um, so no, that hasn't, we haven't traded out the old style King James only for ESV only. That's not how this works. It just happens to be the version I like to study in and teach in. It's not the only one I read, by the, by the way, not at all. It's just for study purposes and teaching purposes, the one I use. So that's good. Okay, so John three seventeen. 17. 4... We just read what for, but for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Um, Speaking of which, some of your Bibles will have all of this in red letters, meaning that it's the words of Jesus, and you may not know this, some of your Bibles don't. Um, because there's, there's great debate over whether John 3, 16 and following is Jesus speaking or is John speaking. And the truth is, we don't know. Even if it is John speaking, it is John giving the concepts, words, advice, insight of Jesus Christ. It's okay either way. But so you may hear me reference a few times like John or Jesus is saying this. But um, so here's what you need to understand. God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world. This was insight for Nicodemus. Um, so Nicodemus would have been he, his understanding was that just like all Jews at the time that that God was going to send a Messiah to condemn the world. That's what they. That's what he was coming for. That the Son of Man was coming to condemn the world. He was going to divide out the Jews from the Gentiles. He was going to condemn the Gentiles and accept the Jews. That was the process he was supposed to do. The word there, condemn, is where we get the word discern um, to see the difference, to divide out, to separate. To judge. That's what they thought he was coming to do. And John or Jesus here is making it very clear no, no, that's not what this trip was about. The Son of Man didn't come this time to judge, to condemn, to divide. Now, we're, we're going to find other references in the book of John that there actually are ways that he does do that. This is talking about, though, in the general picture, that's not why he's here. Now, the language seems to be pretty clear. Why wouldn't Jesus come to? lay out condemnation, Well, we're going to see, it's because Jesus doesn't think we need any help getting condemned. We are, in Jesus' words, already condemned. That's the stance that we have when we start the conversation. We'll get there. We have to, his, his judgment, his teachings about future judgment are just exactly this, wheat and tares, sheep and goats, good servant and faithful good and faithful servant, wicked and slothful servant, those who are blind and can see, those who are lost and confound. You see the division that is in the future of mankind. At some point, there will be a clear dividing line, those who know him and those who don't, those who he knows and those who he, those who he doesn't. That's, that's coming. But that's not why Jesus came to the world. That was not what the purpose was at this time. We have come to, re, he, we have come to realize our need, which we have, whether we are aware of it or not. All humans have a need. We have a need to have our condemnation removed. We stand under condemnation. Who would deserve condemnation? Jesus doesn't need to divide out those groups. They are already divided. Human race deserves condemnation. All through this passage, we're going to see this. So, 18 Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. See, so he doesn't need to come condemn. We are condemned. By we, I mean the human race, lost, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. He doesn't need to condemn us, we are condemned. We are sitting in the darkness already. Our fail safe is condemnation. It's our natural state, is condemned, is dead. Um, this was an insight that, that um, I know, and I've learned over the years that my brain doesn't operate like normal people's brains. Um, I, I run into that on a regular basis. Sometimes it's cool, sometimes it's not so much. But the, um, in this situation, like the realization that, that, that the natural state of so many things is death the natural state of so many things is failure. The natural state of a garden. Some of, you, some of you have gardens. My grandmother used to say, there's only one really good way to tell good plants from bad plants. Weeds from good plants. I know what it is? You destroy them all, and the ones that come back are weeds. <laughs> That's how you tell them apart. Um, it is the, 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 what is the, nat- if you raise a garden, what's the natural state of a garden? Meaning you don't put any new energy into the garden. What's its nature? You inherit a beautiful garden from Aunt Susie. She's tended it for 50 years. You inherit it and you go get all the goodies from it, but you decide not to waste your time tending it this year. What, what are you going to get from it next year? Yeah, not much. Death and weeds. Because the natural state of a guard is death and weeds. One of the the statements I've said that apparently is controversial, although I didn't know it the first time I said it, it was going to be. The natural state of marriage is divorce. That's its natural state in a fallen world. If you get married and then you don't put any energy into it, you will get divorced. The natural state of marriage is division, not unity. The natural state of all human relationships is like that. Because that's our natural state. We have to eat and drink today in order to not die. The natural state of the human body is dead. If you don't put any new energy into it, you'll be dead in a few days. That's its natural state. That's what it means to be in a fallen world. I always thought that was understood. The natural state of the relationship with Almighty God is condemned. That's where we stand. We are dead in our trespasses and sins and we're we're excellent at the whole condemnation thing we don't need someone to come get us condemned now there is an old pastor who said one of the hard things for humans is not getting them saved but getting them lost what he means is it's not hard to get us lost it's hard to get us to admit we're lost we're so self-important and narcissistic um, and egocentric that that we can't imagine that we would need some help from anybody else um so jumping on, jumping on down, John, um, I'm going to reference a couple of verses. Um, this, this idea, we have to escape that fate. We have to escape the fate of condemnation. So a theme, of course, given that, so you can imagine, what's a natural theme for someone who needs to escape condemnation is light in a dark place. That's the that's something that you need to, that, those, that makes sense, right? If that's what you're trying to teach is escape from condemnation, then and it makes sense an analogy that makes sense is going to be light. John 1, uh, 4 and 5, which we read a few weeks ago, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, John 1 9 continues down a few verses later the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world and he was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him the world is in darkness that's the state that's the natural state our lives are hidden in the dark that's the natural state all of us find ourselves walking in darkness at some times And this context, this isn't about just emotional darkness. This isn't another word for depression or something like that. This is darkness as in hidden, secret, illicit, unknown, immoral, in the dark, hidden and hypocritical and false. We are in the dark. It is at night. So 319 says, and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. Same concept. The condemnation is this. How do you want it? You want to know why, as a human race, we stand condemned? Here's one of the reasons. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light. Every time truth has entered the world, through the teachings of people like Abraham, maybe like Adam, but from the prophets and the lawgivers on down to the person of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, you name it, every time light has come into the world, the generalized response of the human race is no thanks. We're good. I prefer it dark. I have too many things I want to keep hidden. I don't don't want it. Jesus doesn't need to judge here and now. That's coming. Now the testimony is being created. The judge is seeing all. This is the judgment. Um, It's the idea of Jesus waving around in the darkness, pointing towards the light, telling people, get out out of the darkness. Um, The only value that you have to someone in the dark is if you have light or at least know where the light is. So if someone is stuck in the darkness, it's important that you have light. It's not sufficient to just join them in the darkness. That's the the new American way. That's the new definition of tolerance. The new definition of tolerance is to join someone in the darkness and celebrate them being in the darkness under under the heading of something like diversity. That's, we, we now would call darkness diversity. That's not the true concept of diversity. Diversity is another, diversity, understand diversity is under the heading of unity. It's not an enemy of unity. Diversity is part of unity. If you don't believe me, read 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12 or Ephesians 4. That's the idea. We can always in the church use more diversity. Healthy diversity is a good thing. But to call sin just an example of diversity and then then embrace that and encourage that or whatever it is, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Just joining people in the light, that may comfort them, but it offers them no escape from condemnation. If you're, if you're trapped in the compactor at the, at the car lot that's going to crush the cars, and you're trapped inside of it, joining that person inside and accepting and encouraging their life decisions is not love. Love. It may make them feel good about themselves right up until the point that they're squished. But it's not love. That's not the same thing. Understand that truth is not an enemy of love. He is saying, here's the light. Here's how you escape. Here's how you get out. And we're of no value if we don't have any light. By the way, you you may think I'm talking about something particular, but let me tell you the specific I'm talking about. The specific one that I like to come back to is the fact that our marriages are terrible in the church. We're offering no light to the world through our sorry marriages. That's a failure on our part that we as the church that that we say, hey, we're going to join you in the dark because our marriages are terrible too. Our divorce rates are similar. Our infidelity rates are similar. Our addiction rates are similar to to yours. So we're just going to join you in the dark. That's not of any real value unless we can say, no, no, we understand the dark. We get the dark. Believe me, the dark, we get that. But we also have a light switch. Um, I said it was John who referenced this, but it actually apparently was Paul, and Paul was quoting somebody else. Um, but the idea that, that we're just, we are beggars, just like every other beggar, except that we know where the bread is. We're, we're in the dark just like everybody else is in the dark. But the difference is that we know where the light is, and so we can lead people to the light. This is what's being talked about here. He, the light has come into the world. People don't want to see the light. We need to find the Jesus is trying to find the people who will turn to the light and move to the light. Um, I was jo- as I was thinking about this, I started striking me all the different movies and and especially cartoon references that seem to to talk about staying out of the light. Like I didn't I didn't put some of the adult ones up there, but here's a, a couple of them that jumped out at me. So this is this is the the the, the light is something dangerous. There's even a couple more that are more like. Um, you remember this one from Bug's Life? <laughs> yeah. Don't don't look at the light. Anyway, so. Then, of course, that should give people some nightmares tonight, um, people of my generation. Um, yeah, exactly. You're stuck with that now. So the, the, the idea that, that we're supposed to stay out of the light seems to be, I, I'm, not, I'm not like being a conspiracy theorist here or something, but I was like, it does seem like that is a con- common message in Hollywood is to stay out of the light. Um, and I don't, I just mean movies now. I'm not talking about like interviews and stuff. But the Jesus teaching is that our main need, our most important decision here is to come into the light. To go to the light. To love the light more than darkness. Um, Paul, we were talking about this. Uh, we have a, a meeting and, and Paul was like, Paul told us a, a story about when he was growing up. And you may have stories similar to this, but his was the first time he ever had someone teach scripture in a, in a hands-on setting was, was walking, into, um, walking into his grandfather's barn, and they would go in, and they would open the door, and the instant they would open the door of the barn, all the mice would scatter for the hay, to go hide in the hay, the instant you would open the barn door. And he's, he said his grandfather stopped and taught, essentially taught through this passage at that moment. I was like, that's what's being talked about. All those mice prefer the darkness than the light. They've got something to hide. They've got something to be afraid of. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest the works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. We're naturally in the darkness. Our children are not born into the light. They're born into darkness. They are in darkness at the point of conception. That is the natural state of human beings. We stand condemned to begin. The world, the human race, stands judged. The judgment has to be escaped. It's... It is necessary. Um, I have three babies who died before they were born. Ginger and I have three babies who died before they were born. And so it is. It is not. I believe that God has had mercy on them. That is my personal belief. My personal view is that God has mercy on um, on children because He's just that kind of a merciful God. But don't 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 confuse that with thinking that it somehow was about their merit or their cuteness. Or because their babies and babies are cute and sweet or or whatever, right? Not true. Uh, Babies are generally pretty selfish, egocentric, demanding, narcissistic, and abusive. Um, I've said before, the only reason I'm alive is because my little babies were too small to come creep out of their crib at night and snuff me. Um, You've ever been looked at with murderous rage by a one-year-old? You have if you know any. You ever told them no to something? That's what they're saying in their head. Um, but but regardless, that is not. Don't understand. I I believe that. I, I believe that God has will have mercy on my children, on those three who did not ever have the chance to hear or learn or whatever. I, I believe that. But that's because of God's character, not theirs. Um, don't don't confuse that. They. They, if, they are, if they have been saved by God, it's because of His mercy. They stood condemned before Him. And if He chose to save them, which I believe He would, knowing what we know of His character, that's, that's about His character, not theirs. His mercy is our hope. It's about His mercy to rescue us and them out of darkness. It's not their righteousness. They may be cute and adorable, but they are tainted by sin and wickedness as the descendants of Adam, like all of us. The light may be painful. We may be convinced, reproved, and chastened, uh, convicted, excuse me, convicted, reproved, or chastened in the light. It happens when you come into the light. You've probably experienced that. I hope you have people who, who would see that we aren't all that special. Somebody might catch on to the fact that I sin and fall and stumble and make mistakes all the time then you might see not only how I fail, but here's what's wild. If I step into the light, you'll not only see what a failure I can be and what an awful person I can be, but you'll also see that the good things that I have done are really not about me either. That really God is the one, as that passage says, that it really is God who's at work, that the works have been carried out in God. And that's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to come forward and people say, oh, so that thing I learned for you really was from God, wasn't it? Yeah, probably so, not me. It's embarrassing for us to realize that, that God is the positive person in the light. But at the same time, consider relief from darkness, the imagery Jesus is portraying here. I don't know if you've ever experienced real darkness. Um, in East Texas, some places we still have real darkness. Maybe you've been someplace where you had real darkness. It can be a scary thing. Anybody, anybody ever gone down in a cave? Ever experienced that? And had them turn off the light in the cave? Can you imagine if, if in that moment they turned off all the light and then everything got quiet because you realized they'd all left? Or you bumped your head on a type? How do you remember? Because stalagmites might hang from the ceiling, but they don't. Isn't that how you remember that? Just kidding. Um, so they, you banged your head on it and, and you wake up a little while later and the tour group has moved on and there's no light. and What would that feel like? Some of you may be um, literary enough that you remember Edgar Allan Poe's uh, story, The Pit and the Pendulum. Um, it's always, when it's portrayed, it's always the, the pendulum is always the scary part, but if you read it, it's the pit that's really much more scary when he's dropped down in this place in the dark. And the way that Poe describes the darkness is terrifying. Um, the relief of light is there too. So I encourage all of you that as we study scriptures, we look at it, that's part of why we do that is because this is where we find light is in His Word. First Peter 2, 9 and 10 says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession that you may proclaim the excellence of excellences excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. This image of scripture and our ministry are one as relief. This is what God calls us to, is to be lights. Think about that. You realize it would, be, it would probably blasphemous for us to say that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, but Jesus Christ says that we are the light of the world. If it's a dark world and we're the light in it, and in addition to that, not only does he jump into the area of light, but it begins to move, move even more powerfully into the idea of light and water. These are going to be two main themes throughout the book of John. Now you can see why. If the idea is condemned offering relief, you can see why out of darkness into light is one analogy. You can also see why from the water, I mean from the, from the dying of thirst to having water is another picture of this. You can see why lost and found. I grew up out in the woods and so the fear of lost didn't really st- didn't really hook with me like I was lost all the time out in the woods that was just normal for us to go out in the woods and not know where we were we knew generally where to go but it was it was a wild concept for me but then running into people who didn't grow up out in the woods or if you take me into a city or sometimes just a grocery store and and I can get lost in there and I understand now the panicky feeling that comes with being lost Um, there was one time as kids that my best friend and I there were a set of roads and stuff way back in the woods and we would go back there and spend hours and hours and days and days back there and there was a, a loop in the middle of it that had roads going off old logging roads that went off in every direction and one of them had grown over and we didn't realize that the one we had come in on had grown over and you could see it when you were coming down it to the big loop but when you were on the loop you really couldn't see it very well and so we spent days and days um, hours and hours out there, but but one day we got out there and we we went out further than we had gone before, and we couldn't we couldn't find our way back, and we weren't all that upset about it, but we were pretty young. I mean, we spent a lot of times out in the woods like that, and we thought, man, we're going to be stuck out here. We cannot find the trail back, and we know there is one. Again, that's nothing compared to me going to some place like Dallas and and driving in downtown Dallas and going, I, I've. I'm now stuck forever. Apparently, you can't leave downtown Dallas. There have been moments when I've realized that they closed a road, they moved something. It's like being in Hogwarts or something. You just can't, like you're stuck. It, they, they change things. Um, and, and you get that panicky feeling. What is it like? What's it like, church, when you suddenly realize, oh, that's the road I need? Oh, that's the path out. Oh, look, there's a light in the darkness. So to tell another story about this, I'm, I'm gonna tell, but let me read this to you first from Psalm 119. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and I pant, that means thirsty, because I long for your commandments. What is it that we are longing for What we're going to find throughout the book of John, as we continue to study through John, is that we're going to run into one population after another who thinks they want something. Next chapter, we're going to run into a woman who thinks she wants water. And Jesus is going to say, no, 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 you don't want water. You want me. And then we're going to run into a crowd of people who think they want bread. And Jesus is going to say, no, 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 you don't want bread. You want me. And we're going to run into some sisters who think they want their brother back. And Jesus is going to say, no, 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 you think you want resurrection, but what you want is me. It's going to happen all through this book. For us, as we realize there's nothing wrong with water or light or food or or a brother, there's nothing wrong with those things, but recognize all of those longings, all of those yearnings are really about him. Fundamentally, they're about him. Um, I got to experience both of these at the same time. Um, uh, Years ago, when I was involved in a program called Young Guns, we took kids, we took these boys out to Enchanted Rock, and we had never been, I'd never been to Enchanted Rock. None of the people had ever been to Enchanted Rock. How many of you have been to Enchanted Rock? I've never, like I'd only been, I'd never been there at that point. And we went, we got there, we drove from here in Tyler on a Friday afternoon, so we got there late. I mean, it was was late already because it takes forever to drive down there. And we get there, we set up our little campsite, which is no tents or anything like that, just sleep legs out on the ground. And one of the guys goes, you know what we ought to do? We ought to go up and, and look at the caves up on the top of Enchanted Rock. I had no idea, so I was like, sure, let's go. So we, we gathered together, about a dozen young men and a couple of leaders, and we, and we walked up there, and, and none of us thought to bring, it was a little bit light, and those caves aren't that deep, and they're not that dark, so only a couple of us brought fly, flashlights, and we get up in there. Here's the thing, though, the reason the caves are, are kind of not all that dark is because there's light that comes in from the top. There are holes in the top, and that kind of stuff cracks in the top, and as I understand it, and... Um, but, but here's the thing, when you get up there at night, not a lot of light comes in through those cracks at the top. Just We might have foreseen that if we thought about it. But the, uh, um, So we're down there in the caves, and it gets dark while we're in the caves, and, and the guy was like, yeah, it takes like 30 minutes to get through the caves, and some of you know that that's funny because it takes more like two hours to get through the caves, especially with a group of a dozen young men. And so we, no one brought anything to drink. It's in the summer, late at night, up in the top there, and it, and once you're in the caves, you're not going back. And and at the bod- at the very end, there's like this little crawl space that's that's, you know, a big giant boulder that only has about this much space under it. And it takes about twenty or thirty feet of doing of wriggling under it to get under it. And um and we had a couple of kids who were kind of claustrophobic. And as we started it, they were like, I don't think I can do that. And we were all like, Well, I mean, you're going to, because <laughs> at this point, there's no, not another option. This is the way out. Um, back is two hours through the cave, and we're not moving that, so figure it out, kids, so we, um, we had one kid that we were like pushing his feet from below and pulling his arms while you're laying the same way, like, come on, kids, so <clears throat> anyway, we get out, and we come out, and you come out, and there's like a cliff going down, and we we're all just dying of thirst, I mean, we we're just panting, and it's pitch black, and we have like two or three flashlights, and now we need to go down the mountain in the dark without any water, without anything like that. And we, we got down to the bottom, had to go all the way in the parking lot just to find our And there was a um, We come around a corner, and there's a Coke machine. <laughs> Only thing that's lit is a soda machine on the other side of the parking lot. And it, it I mean, you talk about going to the light. I mean, it was <laughs> These guys just charged for it, and we're pulling out every penny and quarter we can find, and Bought the thing out of Gatorades and guys were just pouring it down their faces and and the relief from seeing not only light but seeing that it was light that included Gatorade. That whole like that that moment. This is the imagery I want us to have in our. I want you to have this image in your brain. This is what Christ is describing here. Are you someone who, when the light comes on, you scuttle for the corners? I can't give up my secrets, I can't give up what I hide, I can't, I can't give this up, this is too important to me. My faith is in my sin, or my faith is in my comfort, or my faith is in, my, is, is in what makes me feel better, or whatever, or is it a ministry of relief to you? Do you say, there it is, that's what I've been looking for. It may not always be fun, it may not always be easy, but, but it's good. A dark and thirsty world. Kind of a key ministry, as we're referencing Mother's Day today, a key ministry of moms. The relief, the comfort, the escape. Moms are supposed to be safe because they know where the light switch is. As Christians, we, we exhibit the maternal traits of God in that we know where the light switch is. We know what we're supposed to do in those situations. Verse 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside. Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. And John was also baptizing near Anon, near Salim, because the water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. So sometimes after his encounter with Nicodemus, Jesus continued to do work, not so much in the city as the surrounding area. He spent some time doing this and baptizing people. We'll find out later um, that it may have really been his, ba- his disciples doing most of the baptizing. We'll get that to chapter 4. But just a couple of words about this before we wrap out, wrap, run out of time today. The word Anon here means fountain. So this place is clearly named because of its water. No one knows, where it sure, knows sure where it was. Um, it was. What's funny is the Bible tells us it was near Salim, and no one knows where that was either. Um, to this day, we don't know where these two places were. Maybe we'll find them someday. That would be fun. Um, an early writer puts it about eight miles south of bet Shan. So if you went to Israel with us or if you've been, about eight miles south of the big Roman city, Bethshan is where it's supposed to be. But again, no one knows for sure. Uh, Jesus wasn't there. He was still back in the Judean region. But John was there baptizing people. And here's something that struck me. I have a, I have a new standard here. Why did he need to be at Anon? It tells us, it, if you look back up, John was baptizing, verse 23, he was baptizing near Anon, near Salem because the water was plentiful there. I like the idea of having to choose where you do baptisms because you need enough water. You ever thought about that? Like, could we have a baptismal service where enough people had to get up and walk out of our baptismal out there that eventually their clothing would drain all the water out and we'd have to refill it? There's a new goal, huh? That's an amazing thought. I like the idea of John the Baptist going like, yeah, we've been down here near the Jordan baptizing people, but the Jordan is sometimes a little trickle We're not getting enough water here. We need some place where there's lots of water. So he has to change locations because there's not enough water near the Jordan River to baptize all the people that John is baptizing. That is an awakening in a culture right there. What you're having to find, what you're having to find more water just to baptize people. (laughs) When I read that, not a lot of commentary spent a lot of time there. And I read that and I thought, now that's cool. That's a fun idea. The idea of, of the, the, you need that much. So apparently something has gotten, baptism for the Jews falls under the heading of purification. So this becomes a point of connection, contention, and some of John's disciples are riled up, and some of the others, so Jesus was baptizing people. It seems like Jesus was baptizing people who John had already baptized. That seems to be what was going on. Well, some of John's students get upset about this. They get kind of riled up about it, and, and the discussion rises, so we're about to wrap up with this. Now, the discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing, and all the people are going over to him. See, it's a competition. We're losing followers. They're going to Jesus instead. I love that my mentality in the Christian world. It makes me want to puke. John answered him, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. So we'll talk more, more, we'll talk more about this passage next, next week, Lord willing, but I want to make a, a couple of quick points as we wrap up. One, moms, ministers, all of us, the daily challenges, the little thankless tasks, the strength and grace and patience to live out life's ministry, to live out all that we are called to, the strength that we have. Verse 27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. So that understanding that we should receive and accept that the strength that we have comes from him. All of us as parents, we have to live by the John the Baptist theme, which we'll get to next week. He must increase, I must decrease. This is the model for any Christian in our lives. We must decrease, and he must increase. This is in the life of our children, our grandchildren, our spouses, everybody. That that even as people see the good work that's done in us, that they will come to see, as this passage says, that when we come into the light, they'll realize, oh, it was really God who was working, not him. Yep. That's not something for you to be afraid of. It's something for us to embrace. So, let me pray um, and close out our time. I, I would I would ask whatever it is, whatever it is in your life that keeps you out of the light. This is not just a passage about salvation. This concept is not just about salvation, although it's certainly that. If you are living in the dark, if your faith is in anything other than Jesus Christ, come into the light. Come back home. If it's not, if if you are a believer, but there's areas of your life that are hidden in the darkness, find other believers who you can sit with and talk with and confess with and pray with. Um, Come into the light. The more light we find... Even though it's painful, sometimes the more relief we get. And pray. Father, your spirit fills us up and turns us into little lamps. Or maybe like the moon, we reflect your light into the world. And I pray that we would do that well. That people would see our marriages and want to know you. And they would see our families and want to know you. And see how we handle tough things and want to know you. And see how we sacrifice and serve. And they would want to know you that we would be like little lights, that we would, in fact, guide people to you and out of the darkness. That even as we join people in the dark and help them know that they are loved, that we don't stop there, but then we try to lead them out into your marvelous light. And I pray that for each of us, we would learn to live a life worthy in the light, in you. And we do so in your son's name, amen.